We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Wake up! Wake up! Mike Mulligan, David Haw. Also, Gabe, while people slept, they may have missed this. The White Sox <laughs> signed another Kansas City Royal. Let's go, baby. What? Bro, what are you talking about, man? Mike Moustakis, three-time yeah. All-Star. Who? Why not us? Why not us, right? Basically signed by the Sox to a minor league deal. And wait for it. This is the real statistic that is relevant to this story. He was a starting third baseman in Kansas City in 2011 when Chris Getz was a starting second baseman. Chris Getz is a great scout. You know, you shape the culture in direction you want to go. You find the people that, you know, have the qualities that you feel like can fit and work towards what you're trying to accomplish. It makes it fun having people that you know or don't know and growing relationships, but it doesn't mean that we're we're just stuck in our ways. He knows talent when he sees it and remembers it. Got a good memory. <laughs> He's got a good memory. <laughs> Enough Royals already. Oh I don't know why they keep bringing people from Kansas City, to be honest with you. Start your mornings with Mully and Haw. 5.30 till 10 a.m. on 6.70 The Score. It's Friday. Let's go. Good morning, Chicago. Welcome to the Mully and Haw Show on Chicago Sports Radio 6.70 The Score. Gabe Ramirez is in for Mully today. You. Good morning, Gabe. How are you in your Derrick Rose number one Bulls jersey? You know, I know you guys were expecting the White Sox. I was. So that's why I wore a White Sox t-shirt underneath. Okay, you yeah. are decked out. So in I started. Your... I started there, but you know, I put all my sports gear in the same drawer. So then I saw the Derrick Rose jersey, and I thought, "No, nah, I got to put on a Derrick." Do Rose you have shirt. a Bedard sweater, number no. ninety-eight? Do not. But you know, now that I know that what you what, what's on your what's on my Christmas list, <laughs> okay, <laughs> take care of me. That would have been the thing to wear today. That mm. would have been the the uh, jersey to wear last night. True. We've got a lot to get to. It was a very newsy Thursday in Chicago. And Friday, this is a great, great way to cap the week because there were some big stories. And we can debate whether Connor Bedard returning was as big as the Bears cutting two good veterans, Cody Whitehair and Eddie Jackson. There was some other news going on. Let's start with Bedard, though, because that was the most, dare I say it, jaw-dropping development. See what you did there. I do. <laughs> I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> but Connor Bedard playing 41 days after he broke his jaw, 18-year-old kid back on the ice, Sidney Crosby and the Penguins in town. There was a moment at the United Center. There was a buzz talking to people who were at the game. I was tempted to go. I was very tempted to go. <laughs> Is there I, regret? Do you regret it? I don't regret it the way it worked out. Four to one losers, the Hawks were to the Penguins, although Crosby scoring twice would have been fun to right. see. Bedard getting an assist would have been fun to see. There would have been that kind of anticipation that would have been fun to experience. I don't regret it, though, because I did get more sleep than I would have <laughs> had I returned home at midnight. Fair enough. But how often are you going to be able to see Sid the Kid and Bedard on the ice at the same time? Not often, and I think that was part of the impetus between or behind Connor Bedard waking up Thursday morning and saying, I want to, I want to play. I want to play against my idol. I want to recreate the moment that I started my NHL career by facing off against Sidney Crosby the way they did back in October. They did it again. Crosby did it again by winning the faceoff. 15 seconds into the game, it's one nothing Penguins. <laughs> Crosby scored his 15 seconds into the game. Come on. You know when I didn't regret going to the game? Then? Yeah. Or not going to the game was 15 seconds into the game. It was something else. What did you think when you saw the news confirmed that Connor Bedard, franchise player, Chicago's best hope for a superstar, was going to be playing in a nothing season 41 days after breaking his jaw? Yeah, I think initially the thoughts were, who, where is the pressure coming from? You mentioned that you know Connor Bedard wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I think I want to put the skates on today. I think a text message comes from NHL to the ownership of the Blackhawks and is like, hey, you mind checking on Bedard for me and seeing if he could play today? Because I think it'd be a good idea. I mean, come on. In what? How, how many sports where are there where you just kind of step into a game after one practice? 
I don't think there are many. Especially especially after being out I, 41 games. I think that's a, that's a great point. How, in baseball, you got to have the ramp-up period. Come on. In football, you know, you don't really jump right back into that kind of speed and contact. Basketball, you're on a minutes restriction. You know, boxing, you have a tune-up fight. So, wait, you think that Dr. Bettman cleared him? You think that Gary Bettman, the commissioner in the NHL, Dr. Bettman said, okay, Connor, you're fine. Yes. <laughs> I have no attachments to the NHL, so I have zero problem saying these things. Yes. Don't you, David? Yeah, I Come don't on. know if the league was involved. I, I am very— Was this a nationally, te- this was a nationally televised game, right? I don't think that it was. Oh, it, was okay. Okay. it was local. It was local. Uh, NBC Sports Chicago had the uh, had the broadcast. I, or I maybe think, fine, 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 fine. I give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it, there were discussions in the weeks leading up to it. I think it was a surprise. I, I don't. I don't. I don't deny that. I think that would be true. There was definitely interest at the league level in getting Connor Bedard back on the ice as soon as possible. <laughs> yes. The kid went to the All-Star game when it was an attraction. He is must-watch television. I am mildly surprised, and I think that as exciting as it was to anticipate his return last night and yesterday all day long, I did use the word reckless in wondering if this was reckless because you got an 18-year-old franchise player. What is the hurry? I get the, I get wanting to play against Sidney Crosby. If they were... If the Senators were scheduled to play last night, would Bedard have come back? And should that, if the answer is no and you shook your head no right away, if it was no for the Senators, should it have been no for the Penguins? What are you doing? Are you throwing caution to the wind? Now, I'm saying all this as kind of a means of, you know, exploring both sides of the equation because I loved it, okay? As a hockey guy, I was like, all right, <laughs> texting my son. Are you watching it? I'm in, yeah. Do you want to go? Are you free? <laughs> uh, oh, no, maybe we shouldn't go. <laughs> but I was into it, right? Hockey people were into it. But then I'm thinking as a parent, as a responsible fan, do you really want to risk another injury when there really is not a reward worth it? I guess the, the issue really is the injury itself. It's not as though he's coming back from some leg, arm, chest, something like that. It's a broken jaw. So you're saying to yourself, I understand there's contact in hockey. We all know that. But in terms of re-injuring something that could be detrimental to his health for the future, I think that gets minimized when it's a jaw injury as opposed to something else. He could re-break his jaw. He could re-break his jaw. What's the, I mean, Then there's another 40 days. Then all of a sudden your rookie season's kaput. I, I think hockey players are wired differently. I think this return to injury in 41 days after breaking his jaw uh, just reminds us, it confirms it, it reconfirms it. Hockey players are wired differently. And that's not a play on words because of the wiring it took to keep his jaw together. <laughs> but this is a different breed. Yeah, any, any, any men that can walk around confidently <clears throat> and comfortably without teeth? You Duncan, know? <laughs> Duncan Keith in the 2010 Western Conference Finals coming back and playing after getting his teeth knocked out against the San Jose Sharks is a Chicago sports legend. And this is the same kind of mentality. You see it at every level of hockey. You know, you see it from the NHL, college, youth hockey, high school hockey. I mean, players just, it's the mentality. They bounce back. They're, as a pair, as a hockey dad, I can recall making decisions that I'm not proud of now. Like, yeah, oh, you, you can play. You want to play? <laughs> My son played a senior night with a hole in his lip. I mean, he had like a surgery five days earlier to repair it, and he's got a bandage in senior night. My wife really cringes every time she sees that picture. He played. I don't think it was a good decision. It's like a, it's like a broken jaw. It's not going to get – nobody's it, worried about it. It was one of my dumbest fatherly decisions no, ever. Stop, but don't say that. Hockey players are wired differently, and I think we saw that last night. Connor Bedard, rusty in the first period, looked like the best player in the ice for the Hawks after that. He's back. Yeah. Uh, it, was int- it was cool to see him out there. Obviously, getting the assist was good. Um, I think that if you're looking at the Blackhawks as an organization, I mean, you haven't, I haven't talked about them since the last time – since Connor <laughs> Bedard broke his jaw. <laughs> So, I mean, this is the... You're one of those. Yes, I am. You're one of those guys, Gabe. (laughs) And I'm with 97%. I hear you. All right, I'm done talking (laughs) hockey. Okay, okay. Talk more hockey. Yeah. All right, so the other big story in town, the one that I think surprised me less, it was in the sense of when, not if, 
But the Bears release Cody Whitehair and Eddie Jackson. Two very good Bears, two very solid veterans, good locker room guys, two guys who had to have seen the writing on the wall. Eddie Jackson had a quote attributed to him in December that, you know, God willing, I'll be here a year from now. He knew. Yeah. He was due $14 million. He's not worth that at this stage of his career. Got the big contract. Cody Whitehair, he was benched. He knew. These guys have the distinction, I think, of being two of the best draft picks that Ryan Pace ever made, and they lasted into the next regime, and now their Bears days are over. They save $21 million under the salary cap. This was inevitable, and this, to me, was part of the NFL business that gets conducted at this time of the year, and it was a smart call by Ryan Poles. Yeah, the timing, you know, obviously when you see the email, you know, slide across your screen from Bears PR saying that those two moves had happened, it's, it is shocking, even though you, again, as you mentioned, David, you were anticipating those moves. I was – I had some sort of hope that the Bears would restructure an Eddie Jackson deal. Why? Because people will say that, but I want to why. Yeah, yeah. I think two reasons. I think one, if you're if the if your answer to the safety position is a rookie, mm-hmm. right, an unproven rookie, a late round rookie, because that's what it's going to be. An aggressive. I'm going to prove something. I'm going to hit your rookie. Fair enough. Okay. Still a rookie, nonetheless. I think if you were able to get Eddie Jackson at a at a very discounted rate mm-hmm. to throw him in the mix, you know, as part of that pool, I think that is better for the team. Um, Possibly. That, it, that that'd be my only argument. Possibly would be the, the to offset the the because I don't assume that the Bears are going to address that position in free agency. Why not? There are a lot of free agents available. There, there are, are a lot of affordable veteran guys you can get at a more affordable rate than Eddie Jackson was coming. Hundred percent. That's why I mentioned the restruct the, the the restructuring of of that deal. But what tier of a safety are you going to get? Are you trying to pay top dollar for a safety? I don't necessarily agree with that. I'd rather it be in the draft if you're talking about that position in particular. Why? I'm I'm going to ask why a lot today. And I'm here for that. Because I think that. Because I think think those dollars are better. better I just had this conversation with my brother Brandon. I, I feel like those dollars are better allocated towards someone on the defensive line or a center. So for me to. Let me me pose a hypothetical to you. And it's not that far fetched. Yeah. They probably will keep Jalen Johnson. Right? I would hope so. Franchise, transition tag, whatever the case may be. But if for whatever reason he wants $20 million a year and you – He's going to get 19 to 21 for sure. you got to make a call on that. You're not going to lose him for nothing. I I really think that's the least likely scenario. But could you justify if you're Ryan Poles taking that money, allocating some of those resources, and going after Antoine Winfield Jr., for instance – who's going to be an $18 million a year guy. He's a difference maker. Yeah. He's the kind of safety you do pay that kind of money to. He's the guy that you want to. But I, I don't think that's realistic for the Bears, but I do think it's an option out there. Right, and it's, it's so funny. It's like I'm literally arguing with my brother. He, that's the name he brought up. Yesterday. He's like, hey, but what about Anton? And I said, I'd rather have Daniel Hunter. I'd rather that money go towards an explosive, dominant defensive lineman to go alongside Montez Sweat and have a, have a rookie you know, like I said, if, if you're going to go that route. I'd go the other route, I think. You'd rather have Antoine Winfield Jr. and a, and a fourth-round defensive end? Yes. You know why? Why? It's a really good debate among the very good debates in this city right now. And it is a you debate. Think you, you think, so you're, you're, Here's you, why. Here's why. You Let think the safety's going to make a bigger difference, though? That safety? Yeah. The guy's 25 years old. He's an all-pro safety. If this is a direct question, would you rather have – Antoine Winfield Jr. and a fourth-round, mid-round defensive end. doesn't even have to be mid-round. A rookie defensive end opposite Montez Sweat or a veteran 30-year-old who – Hold on. Don't, poo, don't, don't crap on the guy. <laughs> he's Daniel Hunter. I know. He's, he's still Daniel Hunter. The, what does he have left in the tank? Oh. Or him and a rookie safety? Mid-round I'm, rookie safety. I'm <laughs> wondering – I'm wondering – I don't think it's an automatic uh, – Yes, for me, that I would rather have Hunter and the rookie safety rather than Winfield and the rookie pass rusher. Yeah, I think when I think about that argument, I try to think who can affect the defense more, the current defense, not necessarily separating the positions and removing everyone else. It's the entire defense, and I feel good about the secondary. Mm -hmm. 
And I think if you put a, you know, let's just call it mediocre safety there and a dominant end, I think your defense is better than having a mediocre rookie defensive end and a very good safety to add to that group that's already good. It's a really good argument. It's a football discussion and debate that I think goes back a long way. Which is more valuable and impactful, pass rusher or pass defender? Which and I think may- the argument in Chicago has been pass rusher for the last yeah, two I, or three years. That's that's true. If you have – I always think, though, that's a big role to play in a cover two defense, the free safety position. Eddie Jackson, to me – to me, this is tough to say goodbye to him. There's some sentimental attachment for people in the city. I get it, but he was not a willing tackler. At all. I agree. Often enough. He was not a impact player often enough, and he had dropped off considerably. So I think that I envision, boy, if they could replace him with the kind of guy that, that, that he was in 2018 – the kind of player that Winfield is now, that would be exciting. I can't imagine you spending $40 million in your secondary on two guys. That's, that's, that's a big ask, and I, don't, I think that's unrealistic. I think that's a, good, that's a very good way to look at it. But you're also suggesting then that you're going to invest how much in your bookend rush ends. So Montez Sweat's locked up and loaded for $98 million. That's a great signing and extension. You're going to pay somebody similar money, commensurate with that salary opposite him? That's what you're suggesting? I would be more inclined to say your argument makes sense to me if it were a defensive tackle, a guy that – but I don't know who that person is out there. Yeah, I think the, I think the money will be a level lower than Montez Sweat. I don't think it would be equal – so I think that'll be you know a good one there because of the age and I think that that definitely factors in. But I just want to know why Hunter has been well traveled or why he has been moving around lately. It's or, a great question. You know what what is it about his more recent past that has him on the move again? So there's that lack of stability that makes me wonder about pass rushers. How do they age? Does everyone age at the same rate? I'm not saying. I'm not saying that I won't come around and see it that way, Gabe, but I think that as we talked this morning, all these hypotheticals, you see those names on the list, there's only that one, Winfield's <laughs> man, like, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. would like to have him. But that was big news yesterday. Eddie Jackson, former Bear, Cody Whitehair will not get as much fanfare, certainly, on the way out because he was benched and replaced, but he he served the Bears very well. Played multiple positions, kind of slotted in wherever they asked him to be, and really wanted to be there. There were moments last year where he was like, hey, I want to be the center. And I think that his inability to snap the ball is one of the stranger things. (laughs) Why was he not the center? (laughs) If they always said, you know, we want our best five out there, he was a better blocker than Lucas Patrick, but he could not snap the ball. Was it a case of the yips? Because the shotgun snaps were, like, strangely inconsistent and erratic. Consistently inconsistent. (laughs) So what was it with that? I mean, he couldn't do it. It was like Chuck Knobloch throwing (laughs) from second base. Steve Sachs did over there. I mean, he was like the Alabama center every snap. Yeah. He didn't want that. So Cody Whitehair, I wonder if he'll play again. I think Eddie Jackson will find a home. Certainly. Eddie Jackson will go somewhere. Jaguars, Panthers, something like that, one of those teams. Somewhere down – you think in the yeah. South mm-hmm. because he's some Alabama ties. Yeah. I think he'll find a defense where he doesn't have to do anything except for defend the pass. Falcons, Ryan Pace connection, maybe. Oh, good call. That's a very good call. I said this on the take the North podcast, which drops later this morning. I think I had to think I lost what day it was. <laughs> it is Friday, eight o'clock. Yes, yes it will drop. No, it dropped last night. What am I talking about? <laughs> It dropped last night. Okay. This is a great promo. I digress. <laughs> I think that Eddie Jackson was the best draft pick that Ryan Pace made. Yeah, it's hard to argue against that. It's not a, I thought that was more profound than your shrug suggested. Okay, yeah, okay. Well, you'd have, you'd have to have like right. six guys up there that it would be, he'd be going up against in order for it to be like. You're basically saying he didn't have many good draft picks. He had a couple good drafts, but later round draft picks, right? So it wasn't anyone those. Eddie Jackson was a fourth Fourth, round pick. Fourth round pick. Coming Coming off off an injury. Yeah. Right. 
And in a span of, as Weider reminded me, in a span of like 22 minutes of that draft in 2017, the Bears drafted Eddie Jackson and Tariq Cohen in the later rounds. That's getting it done on day two. So maybe Ryan Pace would offer in Atlanta a good landing spot for Eddie Jackson. I could see that. Yeah. It's a great call, Brandon. Just don't make him tackle. <laughs> Other Bears news. Uh, sad news. Steve McMichael was rushed to the hospital last night in New Lenox. He was taken to the emergency room. They feared pneumonia. It turned out to be a urinary tract infection. But any kind of infection at his state fighting ALS is a huge concern. His publicist, Betsy Shepard, sent out uh, an alert on his way to the hospital and then a clarification or an update, more of an update, later in the night that it was a UTI. And so everybody around Chicago, uh, obviously, in light of his Hall of Fame induction last week, there's a heightened awareness of Steve McMichael's plight right now. And I think it's a good thing because a lot of people, it's easy to pull for Mongo. The amount of love that has been directed towards him has been incredible over the last year. And not just because of, you know, what he's dealing with from a health standpoint, but, you know, a celebration of his career that has been happening where, you know, you were then reminded what kind of impact he had, not only for the Chicago Bears, but in in the NFL. And to see it happen and and play out the way that it has has been kind of beautiful, uh, to to be very clear. Uh, And I think that I I wish – I wish I could have. I wish I could know what he was, what he's, what he was feeling, knowing that, you know, there is this enshrinement that will be happening for him. Gary Fensick was on the program earlier in the week, and I asked him how aware Steve McMichael was of what was happening when he was there, in the when his teammates gathered and his family was there and his friends were surrounding him when he got the news, and he basically said that in the in the way in the limited fashion that he can communicate now, he was clearly aware of what was going Hell on. yeah. <laughs> so there was a satisfaction level that he was able to appreciate and enjoy. And I think that's the big thing. That's why getting him in this class, getting him elected now, while he's still alive to at least appreciate what he accomplished on the field, is what made last week so special. And to have your, your teammates there, to hear something, obviously, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hear Gary on the station, you know, saying that. What a beautiful story! I think it brings a smile to a lot of Chicagoans' faces to know that that is what's happening. And you know, like you mentioned, any infection at this state is is difficult. And so, shout out to Betsy for keeping us afloat on everything that's happening. And hopefully, we can get continued updates. It's a big story. It was the lead Huge. story on NBC Five last night and the ten o'clock news. There's a lot of interest. There's a lot of attention. We're all invested. Dave. We're all invested. By the way, I stand corrected. Daniil Hunter is not well-traveled. He spent his entire career with the Vikings, but there seems to be. Okay, that's a, that's a huge difference. But <laughs> the, 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 he was, wasn't he leaving the Vikings at one point? There's some questions around his, I need to look into his yeah. past. He's been around since 2015. He's not a young man, Gabe. He's not a young man. I, I worry about pass rushers as they age. You loved you loved Robert Quinn for a couple seasons. That's all I need Daniel Hunter for. Okay, I, I I have I have to wonder about that though. Look, moving forward, the other big story in sports nationally, it's kind of a local regional story. Caitlin Clark broke the NCAA women's basketball scoring record. She did it by scoring the first eight points for Iowa against Michigan on her home floor. There were national. Network news cameras there. There was the Wall Street Journal. Uh, She is a phenomena. She is the most famous, popular college basketball player, men or in the men's or women's game right now. And Caitlin Clark now has 3,569 career points. 49. That was crazy. Last night. And she broke it as only she could. A logo three. Which is awesome. A logo three. And she pulled up, cross half court, let it fly, nothing but net. <laughs> and so this is what she had to say about that decision to shoot. I started crying watching that video just because, like, I'm I'm just filled with so much gratitude and love. And um, the way the fa- these fans support women's basketball is so much special. It's so special. And, um, yeah, I mean, 
Y'all knew I was going to shoot a logo three for the record. Come on now. <laughs> Y'all knew I was going to shoot that three. Gotta love the confidence. Over 50% from the field, 50% from the three-point line, 49 points. Like, that, like, like, that's an unreal stat line. To have 49 points on 16 for 31 shooting, I mean, it's not like you're just putting up 30 shots and shooting 40 free throws like Donovan Mitchell did when he had 60 against the Bulls. Right? This is this is actually you're balling. You're on the court balling and killing people. And let's not forget, you had 13 assists. You were dishing the ball, scoring and distributing. Beth Getz is the Iowa Athletic Director. She will join us at 925, friend of the program. So we'll talk about what it was like to be in the gym when history was made on Thursday night. We also have a big show. Brad Biggs at 7, Casey Johnson at 8, Charlie Rumeliotis from NBC Sports Chicago, the hockey guy at 8.45. Grody, it's Grody time at 9. And Gabe is in for Mully all day. The pick six is next. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. It's pick six with Mully and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick six with Mully and Haw starts now. What was your reaction to the Bears releasing veterans Eddie Jackson and Cody Whitehair, saving as much as $21.7 million under the salary cap? How hard will either guy be to replace? This was a smart move by Ryan Poles. I think it also suggested to anyone who might have wondered that there will be no emotion in the equation when you're putting together your roster, not in the NFL. You have to remove sentiment. You can't be emotionally attached to players, even if they served you well. And Cody Whitehair and Eddie Jackson served the Bears very well. They did not do a lot of winning here. The Bears haven't won uh, much while they were in town. 2018, that was it. Both guys had strong years in 2018. As we said previously, they have the distinction of being two of the most outstanding draft picks from the Ryan Pace era, but that was a long time ago. Now I don't think the Bears have anybody that was drafted before 2020 on their team, by the team. Anybody that the Bears drafted before 2020. Mm. I think that speaks to how young they are, how much they're still in sort of a rebuild mode, but they've got to be a playoff contender in 2024 or else what's the purpose here? I think Eddie Jackson will land somewhere for sure and could be a starting NFL free safety in 2024. That position, especially, you can plug and play guys. You can see guys stick around for a while and learn systems quickly. You saw it in heck. San Francisco played Tayshawn Gibson, a guy that came to the Bears after another career elsewhere and still has some value to good defenses. Although we got Steve Wilkes fired. (laughs) So, I mean. But you get the point. Eddie Jackson will likely land somewhere as a starter. Cody Whitehair, if he still wants to play, I still think he could be one of those guys that provides quality depth. Maybe he fills in uh, a roster spot on a depth chart. He's somebody who's easy to have in the locker room and certainly can be a great example if you have younger offensive linemen looking for one. So you wish both guys well. Ryan Poles made the difficult uh, decision, and it was difficult only because – of what they meant emotionally to fans and maybe the organization, but you remove emotion from the equation, this was a smart move, and it was inevitable. I mean, we all kind of saw this coming. It was just a matter of when with this one. I mean, Eddie Jackson, I w- you said he was Ryan Pace's greatest pick, and I was trying to argue with that just in case for this segment, but, like, I got to give it to you, Dave. You're right. I'm looking at all his picks. I'm like, ugh. And so, yes, two-time Pro Bowler, I mean – you know he's on the list for one of the hundred greatest bears of all time. Yes, he was eighty-eight or eighty-one. I just like I'm like, man, like that's to me it's just crazy. I that was is shocked crazy. About that. I, I didn't see that coming, but I'm but I am with Gabe on this when he said earlier in the segment. Like, I, I mean, I feel like you can get a safety anyway. You get like a one-year type of deal with a safety until you draft someone along the way. Now, white hair. Now, I was listening one time Gabe was doing evenings. He was arguing the fact that should you really draft a center? And I was listening to that, and he, and he had some good stats with that too. I, I think also, I think you could look up a free agent 
type of center that can fill in like for his spot with that one. But overall, these moves I saw coming. I mean, we all saw it coming a mile away. Brandon, tell me more about how I'm amazing. <laughs> I gave both of you. I get look, look. What, I, both of you guys like are this, amazing. Like what this. kind of center metrics did you have? Hey, hey, I do research. I don't know. I have time was it like pro football focus or yeah, something like it was, that? Yeah, it was. It was has, a good segment. You had me tuned in. It was there has more, to be a gambling aspect. No, no, it. it was more about talking about how how centers grade out in their first couple of years and how they they never grade in the top twenty in the first couple of years and centers and but it was just a bunch of stuff like that. So uh, <laughs> Cody Whitehair, uh, for me, and, and just so everybody knows, the center that I actually want the Bears to sign is Aaron Brewer, Tennessee Titans. Okay. Talk to my guy from that covers the Tennessee Titans here on 670. The score he was telling me the Brewers are a stud. Derrick Henry loves running behind him. And if the Bears were looking at Nate Davis, they just look, I'm sure they saw the same tape of Aaron Brewer there playing center for the Titans. So a uh, nice little uh, place right there. Eddie Jackson, however, He's one of those guys where me, as a, as a Bears fan, you just love anyone that puts on the jersey. So you kind of like cheer for him. You want him to do well. You believe in him. You know, you, you, you believe what he says. And I think more so than anything else, Eddie Jackson, like Jalen Johnson, can see that the Bears are headed in the right direction. And I'm sure it sucks to a certain degree where you've been with a team for so long. And as they are turning the corner, your fate now belongs to another team. And so... I think there's a sentimental value there where I think about the restructuring, but replacing either guy is going to be easy, especially when you have 21 point something million dollars to do. Yep. Yeah, that's a good question. What was your reaction to the news Thursday when the Hawks announced that Connor Bedard would play Thursday night, just 41 days after breaking his jaw, smart move or reckless? What did you think of the kids play? Connor Bedard was out for 41 days. No, I just playing. (laughs) <laughs> I did that for David. 14 games, Gabe. <laughs> 14 long, miserable, grueling games. Um, I think it was great. I think the fact that David Hall was excited, then I knew it was time for me to be excited about the Blackhawks as well. Um, but I think it just goes to show, again, I've been talking about it a lot for the last couple of days, where the NHL, I feel like the NHL got involved. And that part is icky. Um, I do love the fact that David pointed out that, you know, Hockey players are wired different, so I'm sure he himself wanted to get back on the ice. So I do think it was a smart move. Why? Because you need some sort of momentum to continue to build for the Blackhawks. It started at the beginning of the season. Every, it felt like every game of theirs was on TV. People were talking about the Blackhawks, and then it kind of just went dark. So the fact that he's back, the fact that he's playing, I thought it was a smart move. In terms of what do I think of the kids play, you come in, you get an assist, you have a couple of blocks, you get yourself on the ice, and your presence and I think that for me, overall, for a guy that had one practice leading into that game, I think I think he did I think he did well. And I think that you know, Blackhawks are back, baby. They're back. They lost. I don't know if they're back. <laughs> like, yeah, they're back. <laughs> I mean, they're back on my they're, radar. They're they're back to being like you want to watch them on TV and you want to see Connor Bedard play. I was a little shocked by the news when it was announced. I thought it was like maybe a game or two early. I thought he'll be back sometime next week. Um, with that being said, though, I mean. He played good. He was rusty. He was already the best player. I mean, we already know he's the best player, but just for him to be gone for like, what, six weeks, a month and a half, and then you come back by the second period, get your assist. I mean, they needed it. And just the fact that this team is so much on national TV, it makes me go back to think to the point, too, of like, man, did the NHL like, hey, like we not for this game, but like, hey, we need him to start showing up because this is I mean, let's face it. This is one of the worst teams in the NHL. Okay, (laughs) so why would you want one of the worst teams in the NHL on, you know, national TV? It's because of Conor Bedard. So it's great to see him back. You got to have some type of excitement because it's really Conor Bedard and there's really not much else right now. So good move. I think that even though we're about six weeks out from the injury and people said, well, you know, six, six weeks, still not a surprise. The fact that he hadn't practiced with contact made you wonder. And when I asked Chris Chelios on Wednesday, if the next time we talked to him, would Connor Bedard be, uh, you know, after a game that he had played, he said, oh yeah, sure. And I was a little bit skeptical even then. So I was surprised. And at the end of the program yesterday, I'm glad we mentioned that possibility because Word was had begun to spread that he had gotten the clearance from the doctors and he had talked them into wanting him to, you know, he's he's antsy. He wants to be on the ice. Special guys have special uh, approaches. And, and Connor Bedard's, he just never wants to be anywhere but on the ice with a stick in his hands. And 
I thought it was a little bit fast, but then you watch the game. It took him a period to probably readjust and recalibrate, and then he was the way he typically has been. Smooth, aggressive. He had the assist. He sees the ice like nobody else, and he was the best player for the Hawks. A very bad team. They could be drafting very high again, and they have prospects on the way. So, you know, enjoy this, the rest of the league. Now, the Hawks are coming. The Mm -hmm. Hawks will be coming. And it was exciting, even though I was a little bit cautious in watching. And so I wanted to check to see how excited I was. I sent a text to my son as soon as I got the news. I think I used four exclamation points. Oh, wow. I am not an exclamation point guy. And I used four of them to say, Bedard is back, baby. I only got, I only got two exclamation points. When you, you? Te- when you text me that. Did I, I texted you too. Yeah. Oh, that's right, I did. There's a game. Two ex- Well, see, I was more excited than my son. Of course, you should be. I wanted to talk him into going to the game with yeah. me. And he, was, he wasn't available. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. tried to hype him And up, my wife right? wasn't interested. No, it's a valid question, uh, certainly on the minds of a lot of people. As the Bulls hit the all-star break with Kobe White, really the brightest spot of the season, let's consider what his ceiling is. All-star, superstar. Does White have any precedent for his development from homegrown draft pick into breakout player? I don't know that Kobe White is superstar material. That would mean, what, top 10, top 15 in the league? I don't know that he's capable of that, and I don't know that – I hate when we compliment players and we start talking about what they're not capable of accomplishing because I think all all the things about Kobe White this year need to be positive. He has put himself in a position – to have this conversation. What is he capable of? He was the seventh overall pick in the draft. Those guys have high ceilings. When you watch the way he plays now, that's the way he played at North Carolina. He was aggressive, looking for a shot, hunting those opportunities. And I do think he's a 20-point-a-night guy, easily. I do think he's probably a 40% three-point shooter, easily. Is that a superstar level? Maybe. Is he a 30-point-a-night guy? That would be superstar level. He's a core piece that you want to build with and around. I don't know that he is superstar yet. Capable of being an all-star multiple times. To me, the precedent is there for him with the Bulls. Jimmy Butler did not become what he is now with the Bulls. They had to trade him, and then the Timberwolves had to trade him, and then the Sixers had to trade him, and then he had to learn with the Heat how to be that guy, right? right. But I do think that when you see Jimmy Butler's tenacity in approaching improvement and being that taking that work ethic with him every single night, if Kobe White has that kind of hunger within him, he is capable of doing anything he wants. I think this shows, like, the more opportunity and more confidence you get, you can really see the growth and development of an NBA player. Like, Kobe White, the fact of, like, he was trying to work on his dribbling, working on his shooting during the offseason, and you could tell he, he, he just he looks better overall. I think he's better playing the, the two maybe than the one on this one. But, I mean, obviously that means Zach Levine, you know, probably has to move around. But then that's more opportunities for him. I do agree with you, David. Like, this is a player you could build around. I do see at least all-star potential maybe a couple of times. I kind of wish he was a little bit rewarded for his play so far. I know the Bulls are pretty bad. But, like, I wish he was, like, maybe in a three-point contest or something. Like, I would like to see some type of Bulls. Bigger stage. Yeah, represent. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to see that. So I was kind of, like, bummed that he didn't get that. But – I mean, overall, the the future looks bright for Kobe White. Kobe White, currently in the 2023-2024 season, averaging career highs in points, career highs in assists, career highs in rebounds, career highs in three-point percentage. It's really impressive. And field goal percentage. All of these are career highs for Kobe White this season. Obviously, he's getting more opportunities with more minutes being played. But as you mentioned, David, it it shows that when you do put in the word, Brandon, that was a great point that you mentioned about the dribbling because – I know it gets brought up a lot, but when you're thinking about an NBA player, I always think back to Kobe and saying, like, every summer I worked on something. That's how I became great. And clearly Kobe White worked on his dribbling. This year he's working on his aggressiveness, going towards the rim, being able to take the contact, using his big frame. But there is a ceiling for Kobe White. The reason he is averaging 30 points a game is because there is no true one on the Chicago Bulls, right? It is a 500 team that he is excelling on. So, you know, could he be an all-star? Certainly. For a bad team, not on a good team, though. He is a, a, a component. 
Wait, go ahead. I don't agree with that at you all. You think Kobe White could be an all-star on a good team? Yes. No. Yes. He wouldn't have the opportunities just, that he has. You just told me what he's shooting. You just told me all the stats. Yeah, you just on, a, made me on the Bulls, on a 500 team, you wouldn't be able to do that if he was playing with actual stars. You put him on, let's say. Yeah, pick a team. Pick a team, Celtics. Of course not. He's like the fifth option. Of course he's not making the all-star team as a Celtic. Maybe even a pick, bench player. Pick any other. Pick, pick <laughs> okay, the top 12 team. I'm going to think about this. we got to yeah. get to the other questions. Oh, okay. You have just stumped me for the morning. <laughs> okay. So, I, 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 ceiling, ceiling my first definitely reaction not a superstar, is, what are you talking all-star about? and a bad team. He can't, he's an all-star and a good team. And I'm thinking, okay, does that make sense? I need to think this through. Let's move on. That's a great question, Paul. MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred announced that he will retire when his current term ends in 2029. Is that news? What do you think of when you think of Manfred and how might his legacy change, if at all, in the final five years on the job? The first thing I think of is Bud Selig. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh, damn, he's retiring already. I thought it was just, but that happened back in 2015. So uh, he will have a nice tenure. I think the really cool thing about Rob Manfred, when you're thinking about the lockout of 2020, or almost lockout of 2022, you think about who he is as an individual. He's the labor lawyer for the, for MLB. That's who he was prior to. So he was at the negotiation table. I've sat in union meetings where you had to negotiate against the actual company itself. It, it, it's, it's silly. You have, no, you have no power. They control everything. And Rob Manfred is clearly a guy who understood that power and had it bleed into his reign as, as MLB commissioner. But he is going to be responsible for the, the speeding up of the game, which I think is extremely important. Um, there are a couple of other things that he'll be known for, but for me, that is the most important. And so for, I don't think if he wants to change something in his legacy, what, adding a couple of teams, I think that'll be important. Outside of that, I mean, I think it'll be interesting just to, to keep everybody on the same page, get, speed the game up a little bit more, and just, you know, have the game continue to be fun. But I think he's done an excellent job, you know, in his tenure, you know, while he's been there. I think if you ask MLB fans, I don't think they're – a fan of Rod Manford. Ask I, any ask ask any professional sports commissioner. <laughs> I mean, the NBA, with NBA Ooh, they yeah. love they love Adam Silver. Oh, right. they, they, Adam that's Silver right. is very okay. popular. Right. Good um, comeback. But I, I would say this: when I think of him, I think of certain quotes that, like, I think he was asked once time, "Did do he hate baseball?" Like, and then the piece of metal thing. So it's like, do you really care about them? Like to me, he's a businessman. Like you say, he, he's working for the owners. But like at the same time, though. One of the things I would definitely will give him credit for to piggyback off what Gabe said, like he saw that there was maybe a problem or he noticed something with MLB being too long. He kept hearing that. And then once I guess it was like the COVID season, like shorten up the game a little bit and then using some of that even to now. And I think that did help out a little bit. I think it, you know, the, the speed of the game, I, you like that because you want more action. So I will give him credit for that one. Speed of the game, I think that's big. Playoff expansion, I think that was good. Uh, increase in attendance will be attributed to both of those things, so I think he's responsible for that. There's always going to be the piece of metal comment. There's always going to be the fact that he uh, went into, looked into the Astros scandal and gave those players immunity. What are you doing there, Rob Manfred? And there's going to be just his prickly personality has been difficult to embrace for baseball fans. So, it will be a mixed legacy. He has an opportunity to change it over the last five years, certainly. Um, I think it's been a tenure that has been good for the owners because baseball is growing, and I do think it will continue to grow and maybe expand, but I think the, the pitch clock was huge, and he presided over that. But the thing about this story that bothers me, okay, we all should be so lucky to say, you know what I'm going to do in five years? I'm going to be employed and well-paid and, and not have anything to worry about. Yes. And then in 2029, I'm going to walk away because, you know what, I have that luxury. Well, thank you, Rob, but I really don't care what you're doing in 2029. At 70. <laughs> At 70. Oh, great. Why is this a headline? Why is this a story? This is happening in five years. What are you going to be doing in five years, Gabe? What am I going to be doing in five years? I would like to think. Well, not you know retiring. I, not retiring. <laughs> but you'd like to think that you're going to be in a good job and maybe in the job you're in, maybe in a better job. Rob Manfred, can you really tell me that, okay, does, does this mean over the next five years he's not going to be ousted no matter what he does? That's job security. If you're going to announce now what you're going to hap- what's going to happen to you in five years and how you're going to walk off and ride off into the sunset, wow, do you have a charmed life.
I'm not talking necessarily about a pick six or something like that. Kyle Hendricks talked on Thursday about being in the only place he wanted to be in a Cubs uniform. Do you think that Hendricks retires a Cub? How do you envision him slotting into the rotation, top of the rotation guy or fourth or fifth starter? Or do you consider Hendricks, who is in the final year of a contract that the team picked up the option for, trade bait and a candidate to be flipped at the deadline? I hope not, but I wonder if that's the case. You look at his deal, the club picked up the option, and he's going to be a productive pitcher on a pretty good team. But I do also know the Cubs, very high on their young pitchers in the, in the system. And I do know that if they are still lacking a bat at the trade deadline, I wonder how they're going to go out and get it. More likely to use young pitchers than a veteran, but maybe Kyle Hendricks is a guy that somebody like maybe the Orioles, did you see they're still looking now for pitchers because their guys aren't opening ready, uh, going to be ready by opening day. Maybe Kyle Hendricks is somebody who is sought and targeted by contenders. I want him to retire a Cub. I want him to be here forever. I want him to be here in five years when Rob Manfred retires. <laughs> I hope great. Kyle Hendricks is still in a Cub uniform. Unlikely, but he can go out on his terms. I hope he stays forever because he's the easiest guy in a Cub uniform to like. I mean, of course, any player, I mean, if they like their current situation, they don't want to keep getting traded. So, of course, he wants to retire a Cub. And, you know, and it would be nice to have him there, especially with the whole, you know, he was there when the Cubs were in the World Series and stuff like that. But, but, but right. <laughs> I I mean, right now, what, he's penciled in is, what, the number two starter, yeah, I feel, I, going in after Steele. Makes sense. But I feel like over time, he's going to move down a little bit, maybe like three, four along the line. And it really depends on where the Cubs are at. I mean, look, if, if the Cubs are in the playoff, like, hunt again, like they were last year. Very, if it's similar to last year, I don't, I don't see them making a move. I don't see that happening. I like moving him for that. Maybe probably acquiring some assets, but I, I don't see nothing in that one. So it really, to me, depends on where the Cubs at. And I mean, right now, going into it, he looks like probably potential, maybe a, some trade bait to me. Wow, I, 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 trying to be optimistic. I hope that's not the case. I hope the Cubs are in a position where they still need him. Uh, at the trade deadline so that he won't be necessarily someone that they want to flip. Or maybe, to your point, Brandon, young guys actually do perform well enough where you can actually you know, bring something back for Hendricks. As far as where I see him in the rotation, the, the good thing for the Cubs is that he can be a one through five guy for you. He literally can be at the top of the rotation in the event of an injury and give you six, maybe seven innings and keep you in a game. Or... If your pitches are performing well, he can be your fourth, fifth guy that you're not necessarily banking on for a victory, but someone that can, you know, bring the rotation back around. So I think that's a great position for them to be in. I do think he'll retire Cub, whether it's, you know, on a one-day contract or, you know, if he stays Those are so lame. for the rest of the thing. What? Those are so lame. What is lame about a one-day contract? <laughs> Come on, man. It's all for ceremony. That's nonsense. I, I know. That's what's beautiful about oh, it. Oh, I hate those things. What? 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 Let's gather together to sign get a one-day contract. Get off my lawn, David Hall. What, no, what are you talking about? No, that's not about? get off my lawn. That's not old man thinking. That, that no. does sound like that. What's, big, what's a it's big It's beautiful. Deal? It's the old man thinking. Luol Dane comes back, oh. signs a one-day contract with the Bulls so he can retire a bull? Yeah, let's reminisce about that. <laughs> oh I mean, one-day contracts are the dumbest thing in sports. Why would you have a one-day contract? I mean, everybody remembers it's you symbolic, anyway. It's symbolic, but it's symbolic. Oh, you have great. the opportunity to say it. Give him a gold watch and move on. <laughs> I'm just answering your question. We'll get back to that. Please. We talked Thursday about how Chris Getz should view his job as the White Sox general manager. Do you think Getz believes he has assets to trade for prospects? After Luis Robert and Dylan Cease, who are the two or three most tradable assets on the Sox? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I think first and foremost, Getz, without question, believes he has the assets to trade for prospects. He's been a scout on the team for however many years so I think that you know he understands or probably values the talent of the White Sox a bit differently than anyone else so he he feels like he can't package some guys together um as far as you know trade pieces for the Chicago White Sox oh my gosh it's slim it really is slim I mean you don't want to get rid of any of the younger guys like a like a Garrett Crochet or anything like that they need to be cornerstones uh no the answer is no I mean, not anyone that, that is a value. I mean, even if you dangled the Yohan Mankata, 
a Gavin Sheets, somebody like that. Gavin uh, Sheets, I forgot about him. You know, a, a Ben Attendee, because you're just like, hey, let's just, you know, get some young guys out there. Like, they're not people that teams are lining up for. So I don't, it'd be tough to go down to actually call them valuable assets. Um, but there are some guys that can be packaged, that's for sure. I mean, <laughs> I know that that, how, that whole hesitation, <laughs> right? Like after Dylan Cease and Luis Roberts, like who who else can you trade off this? There's nobody on this team that's worth. You got to have a bounce back year for Kopech, Mokata, Benintendi. Like it's so many like ifs with this. They got like what a zero percent chance or something like this. This team is horrible, and and I'm a Sox fan, and I and I want them to prove me wrong. I mean, look, I was on Facebook. And I went on the White Sox Facebook page, and it's pathetic because they 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 showed the picture like they showed all the pictures and stuff like that. Underneath each one, they had to put the name underneath it because you don't know nobody <laughs> on this team. That's it's ridiculous. So great. it's just like no, no, not there's nobody on this team. No. And then there was a big picture of smiling ex Royals <laughs> in Sox uniforms. The Sox have tradable assets. Yoan Mankata, somebody would want, right? Maybe. What about Andrew Vaughn? He's number one. If you're going to trade to get something in return, if you are committed to a rebuild and you're going to protect Luis Robert, you're going to trade Dylan Cease. The Orioles are coming for Dylan Cease. Bruce told me to mention that today. We need to get into that later. The Orioles are going to be coming for Dylan Cease. But when you look outside of Cease and Robert, I'm thinking Andrew Vaughn. I'm thinking Yoan Mankata. I'm thinking... Michael Kopech? <sighs> Would Michael Kopech bring anything in return? A change of scenery might be what this guy is begging for, what his arm talent would bring. I just think that when you see him continue to have all the unfulfilled potential, and, you know, I, I love the, the Sox beat. They do a great job. All the stories after Michael Kopech spoke yesterday, they read just like they did a year ago. Michael Kopech's you know, committed to this and committed to that. So, you know, it, it is an exercise in futility trying to find Sox assets that are worth trading. That's how difficult the job is. Chris Getz has a difficult job. I still think, as we said yesterday, though, he has every reason to love the challenge. I would get to work every day excited, and I would call the Orioles every single day. I love that his question was yesterday, have the Orioles called you since, they, <laughs> since their injuries about Dylan Cease? Not today, but it was early. And I think that they should get on the phone and maybe try to, you know, get this process going because going into the season, every start Dylan Cease makes, even though desperate times call for desperate measures and teams may be able to give up more at the deadline, you risk injury. And baseball pitchers are not hockey players. They have an ingrown toenail or a, a, blister. You know, a blister. They're going on the I.L., Bedard would say, okay, I'm going to skip a shift. I'm I'll pitch in my left hand. <laughs> All right, that's the pick six. When we come back, the extra point. Talk a little bit about the Bears and the quarterback situation, which is a raging debate around Chicago because that is what people are talking about, including Rex Ryan. We'll talk about that next on the extra point. It's Mully and Haw. Gabe in for Mully. Chicago Sports Radio 670. Set up this extra point. It's time for the Extra Point with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. What did you make of Rex Ryan and what he said about Justin Fields and the Bears being better off surrounding him with talent? I think they should get the three first-round picks and a second-round pick. All what they're talking, the rumors out there about what they could get for, for that. I mean, it seems like anybody that makes those kind of trades always ends out being the team that wins in these things. And you have Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is a rare talent. I'm a huge Justin Fields believer. You have a lot of cap space to lock him up. Uh, Adam, you talked about the support. Yeah. His players love him. All right, yes. absolutely love him, especially more. And so to me, that, that means something to me, that he, maybe you're building that locker room up. Now you get all this capital to build your football team up like Detroit has, things like that. To me, it makes all the sense in the world to keep Justin Field. It's one side of the argument. It is part of the debate that I feel like is a little manufactured. I do feel like that, and I, I took some heat on X yesterday for – 
You're suggesting that there really is not much of a debate in Chicago because it's obvious to everyone who's evaluating the quarterback uh, position and, and the quarterbacks coming out in the draft what they would do. And it does go back, and I'm going to continue to go back to this. What is your ambition? Rex Ryan talks like a defensive coach would talk. And maybe Matt Eberflus in his heart of hearts would love the idea and embrace the plan of building up his depth chart and getting defensive assets with those draft picks and then playing a complementary style of football that doesn't require your quarterback to be that elite because your defense is the star. Your quarterback is not the guy. Uh, That scenario is plausible. It can get you a division title. It can get you maybe even into the AFC Championship game as Rex Ryan did with a guy named Mark Sanchez, right? Didn't he take the Sanchez to the AFC Championship (laughs) game? Sanchez, I love that. I I just don't think that he's ever coached an elite quarterback. He can't speak from experience. In Baltimore, when he was a defensive coordinator, I don't know that he had those kind of examples of guys who – elevated everybody else's game. So Rex Ryan is very good at his role as an analyst. And he's so good as an analyst, maybe nobody wants to employ him as a coach anymore. I don't know what the case is, but I'm not going to take his word as gospel. You add it to the equation, you could counter it easily. Kurt Warner was on the station yesterday, I believe, talking about how it really isn't that difficult because you have to take Justin uh, – you have to take – Kayla Williams, because there are too many unknowns about Justin Fields. We'll get to that audio later, perhaps. This is going to be a football conversation. It's a good one worth having. And so Rex Ryan saying this, maybe you know you, you take it in, you acknowledge it, but it doesn't sway me. I can't wait till we hear like the reports of what was offered for the number one pick because then it makes you really want to debate like, man, should I keep Justin and take these – three first round picks or, you know, then that makes it a little bit more interesting. But I mean, my biggest thing is it's just tough. Cause I really do think about the contract. Like he got two more years right now. And I know people are going to say like the coaching says it's the coach and it's the, and it, and it probably is. Justin Fields might go somewhere else and be amazing maybe, but he just hasn't been with us. And I just think the fact that you got to pay him and what, what type of contract would you pay him right now? Daniel Jones type money? No. You want to give him no. Daniel Jones money? No. You want to give him Geno Smith type money? No. That, that's what I'm saying. So, and then if you do that, like look at the, you do that, then that kind of messes up everyone else on this team, kind of when it comes to the the cap. And now, like I said, I don't know how much Justin Fields is worth right now. It's just I I would just start fresh right now, get a quarterback, and I and I'm a I like Justin Fields. I'm not. I really do. I I really wish that he worked with the Bears. But it just looked like business-wise, the optics, I would just say just draft a quarterback with that number one pick. Yeah, you heard Greg Olson say it. Hey, man, if, if resetting, the, resetting the clock is so important, right, financially. I'm talking about Greg Olson, right, what he's saying. And when you're looking at Justin Fields, I understand the argument. Surround him with talent, and therefore you will make him better. That is a true statement. Justin Fields will be better if you put talent around him. The question is, and part that that stops me from moving forward with that statement and, and that path, is when I look at other teams around the league. There are very good quarterbacks that did not win the Super Bowl who have good teams around them. But there's only one team who had a really good quarterback that won the Super Bowl. And for me, I'm trying to be part of the latter, not the former. And I think that if you surround Justin with talent, I think you become just that. I think you just become another decent team that can't win a Super Bowl. Um, so for me, that's why the, it, it's easy to just move on in, in a different direction. And I think sometimes you just – one of my bosses back in the day said it when, you know, changing people, and I'm like, well, why we, why do we do this? And he's like, you know what, Gabe, sometimes you need a fresh coat of paint. And I think in this instance with the Chicago Bears and where they're at, specifically with Justin Fields, a new coat of paint is needed. I'll take the Caleb Olive uh, <laughs> color, please. Or, well, I'll take the off-white yeah, Caleb yeah. It's accent. (laughs) That's a good way to put it, a fresh coat of paint. It is a good conversation, and it's worth continuing, and that's what they're going to do next Wednesday on the Parkins and Spiegel Show. They're hosting a QB1 town hall from 2 to 6 in front of a live studio audience at the Blue Cross Blue Shield performance stage. Keep listening for your chance to win your way in, and you can do that now. We will take the sixth caller 
at 312-540-0670, and you can get into this town hall QB1 debate, as they say, as the offseason for the Bears begins. Also, you can register to win online by visiting 670thescore.com slash contest. That's the QB1 Town Hall, Parkins and Spiegel, next Wednesday from 2 to 6 p.m. You have a thought on the Bears quarterback situation or anything we discussed during the pick six. If you are a big fan of one-day contracts, please, by all means, let us know why. If you thought Connor Bedard should have been on the ice or should have been at home on Wednesday, Thursday night, let us know why. 312-644-6767. Gabe Ramirez in for Mully. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Oh, I've only watched Caleb Williams three games last year, three this year, so I'm only halfway done, okay? The one thing that I that is clear, he is not special. He is not something unique like a Patrick Mahomes. And I hope the Bears don't think, well, let's 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 try to make up for our mistake when we pass up Patrick Mahomes and go get the Patrick Mahomes. The kid is not Patrick Mahomes. Ain't even remotely close to that. It is unfair to Justin Fields. He has had new coordinator, new coordinator, new coordinator. There's no possible way you could know about your guy when you do that. It's the worst thing that can happen to any player, especially a quarterback. Welcome back. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Gabe in for Mully today. That was Merrill Hodge in Vegas talking about his conclusion about Caleb Williams not being special. Now, I've heard some criticisms of Caleb Williams. I've heard some legitimate concerns about some things maybe off the field in his reticence or whatever the case may be. I think it's unfounded and unfair to base too many conclusions on that, but I've heard those things. I've not heard anyone as strong as Merrill Hodge was saying he wasn't special. (laughs) And with due respect, I, I don't know what he's watching because you watch and you hear, first of all, just watch him with your own eyes. Secondly, you hear from people who do this for a living and that's what special looks like based on their analysis and evaluation. These are professionals. That doesn't mean the Bears have to take them. That doesn't mean they, you know, any team has to trade up to get them. But give him his respect. He's a special player. It's and it's he's saying it emphatically as if it's fact. What I took away from this is he's not special. Right. I mean, give him a fourth round grade like the other guy did. Then why not do that? Like what do you say? The Jets scout gave him a fourth yes, round grade. Fourth round grade. I mean, then then do that. It, Listen, I understand that everyone, everyone wants to put on their scout cap and give Caleb Williams a grade, whether it's via his personality or play on the actual field itself. But I think it's difficult to try to say he's not, you know, he's not, I guess it's not difficult to say he's not special. It's a reach. It's a reach. It's a reach. It definitely is a reach. Score listener line is powered by BetQL. Smarter bets start with BetQL. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. Let's start the conversation with Coach V is on the south side. Coach V, welcome to the Mullen Haw Show. How are you this morning? Hey, how you doing? Doing well. Um, I just think that this whole Justin Fields, Caleb Williams debate has come to you guys on the score, other than maybe – Lawrence Holmes and Dan Bernstein, all you guys are anti-Justin Fields. It ain't, and you're showing, y'all showing your true colors. Y'all getting enamored with this number one pick because just what Merrill Hodge said, you missed on Mahomes. Now you feel like if you don't take Caleb Williams, you're going to miss and he's going to be this generational talent. I beg to differ. Okay. You got everything you got in Justin Fields right now. And I've seen other teams take a quarterback two or three years in who might not have been that good in his first two or three years to impress those who they need to impress, put some pieces around them, and watch how the Bears become a prominent team next year. Go to Taylor Williams, and you ain't doing nothing but resetting the quarterback cycle. You're going to end up, disgruntled players going to end up wanting to leave, and you're going to be left just like you was when Ryan Poles inherited this thing three years ago or two years ago, where you're going to be starting over. So go ahead and take the chance. And fall for the banana in the tailpipe. It ain't happening, Captain. Coach V, are you an actual football coach? Coach V is gone. I've sports all my oh, life, and I know what I see. Yeah, I think that, uh, listen, I, I, 
I hear what you're saying. Thanks, Coach V. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. I hear what you're saying, Coach. I think that a couple things. One, when you're like, you're showing your true colors, what does that mean? I want you to be more specific with that, Coach V. You can text in. I don't know what I that know means. what that means. I know what it means, but I just I want him to say it. And I'll talk to you about it off the air. Um, but I, I think that to, to, to say that – and I've made this argument a lot, David, where it's like you have the number one pick. And, and I'm, let's, let's take aside Justin Fields and all this stuff like that. The Bears, when you talk about the Bears, you're not, you're not associating great quarterback play with the Bears. Okay, So you have two number one picks two years back-to-back with a quarterback that there are still questions around. You can make the argument for him. We, people can make the argument against him. There's still questions regardless. And you're telling me that a team that has never had great quarterback play, they have number one pick in the draft two years in a row, and you, Coach V, think that it's okay to pass up two years of having the number one pick to attempt, just attempt to fix the quarterback situation, and you are okay with passing on that. To me, that does not add up and make sense. I I agree with the way you, you put that, Gabe. Here's the one thing that continues to – bother me about if anything bothers me and that's probably too strong people want to label anybody that isn't on board with bringing justin fields back as being anti-justin fields i think that's understandable but it it also he's saying we fall for the banana in the tailpipe you're falling for or or you're, you're lapsing here into this this easy lazy way to look at this objectivity is not criticism when you're evaluating what the Bears should do, when I am evaluating what the Bears should do in my mind, I am saying that Caleb Williams, in my opinion, based on what I know, based on what people tell me, based on what I observe, Caleb Williams is a better option. Keeping Justin Fields is a good option. This is the offseason defined by a choice that is the Bears can make a good choice or they can make a better one. No way is that criticizing Justin Fields. Pro sports are tough. You have to make difficult decisions. It's not personal. The implication with every call that labels the score anti-Justin Fields assumes that it's personal. The kid can play. He's a consummate leader. He's a great ambassador for the Bears in the city of Chicago. If you're asking the question if he's the guy three seasons into his career, you're answering it too. It's not personal, Coach V. All right? Objectivity is not criticism. Well, that's Brad Biggs, what he thinks. It's Biggs Times Next, Mullen Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.